Hello, welcome to Three Moves Ahead. I am your captain tonight, Rowan Kaiser. I am joined today by a largely camp competent band of levels three and four mercenaries, including the emissary from Kotaku, like Luke Plunkett. Hello, everybody. And uh, waiting at the end for someone to hire them, we have Nerium Strom. Uh, hi, actually, somebody figured out where I've been hired at. Or no, wait, that's a weird sentence to say. I have been hired. Uh, I work at Digital Extremes now. Uh, in a couple of weeks here, I'll oh, be nice. starting my first we're, we're getting an unveiling here. <laughs> yeah. At least to me. Oh, yeah, to you. Yeah, I, I tweeted about it yesterday and then lost track of everything because my cat escaped uh, while I was announcing it. Uh, my oh, door nice. blew open and my cat escaped and I was chasing around the neighborhood. But so can't have something good without something bad. But yes, I announced I am the new content marketing manager at Digital Extremes, makers of Warframe, the upcoming Soulframe, publishing um, Wayfinder. Uh, yeah. So Soulframe is their Soul Calibur Warframe mashup, right? Uh, yeah. It's like so. There's like there's War Edge, and then there's Warframe. There's Soul Frame. There's Soul Edge. It's all <laughs> the same universe, exactly. <laughs> so we get Geralt of Rivia in Warframe. I got it. Uh, oh you hear it, heard it here first. That'd be great, actually. Uh, oh, you know what? Maybe I'll talk to him. <laughs> all right. Uh, Today, we are talking about the mercenary company simulator War Tales from developer Shiro Games. This is an extremely three moves ahead game about tactical management, a subgenre we identified like six years ago, and one of my favorite shows to have put together, uh, where you just, you're just you in charge of a band of a, a little group of people, and they get injured, and they need help, and they get happy or not happy. And this, this goes from like, mercenary games like this to football manager and things like that and they all kind of fit in the same little little i don't know kind of mental niche for mm. me and it's one of my favorites so war tales is a pretty exciting pretty exciting game to see just like come through here's a here's a, what appears to me at least to be a uh, competent incarnation of this and one of one of a few in the pipeline or out right now um, we'll get into the nitty gritty of War Tales soon enough, but I would like to start with a bit of history. Uh, there are a lot of games that I see like in War Tales DNA, but uh, one of them stands out as a point to really begin the conversation. And I would like to know, Luke, did you play Battle Brothers? I did not. Okay, this is good. I, I mentioned Battle Brothers in my impressions piece on Kotaku <laughs> because I think it was you that said, is. Yeah. I've seen people talking about, oh, War Tales has a bit of this and a bit of this, a bit of this. And you were like, oh, no, this is just Battle Brothers. It just looks better. It looks different. It's, and I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Maybe I should check out Battle Brothers then. It does sound very it's a similar. Little more than like just, I don't like, I don't like quite like that phrasing, but it definitely feels like the developers saw Battle Brothers and was like, you know, I can fix some of this. I can fix him. Um and one of the things that it fixes is that it actually has, you know, women that you can recruit, which makes for makes for fun. Uh, so when I say I can fix him, uh, it's now goes to I can fix them or they are fixed. Uh, sure how about you? Did a you lot play of Battle Brothers? Uh, I, so you will remember this, Rowan. Um, a couple of years ago now at this point. God, was it a year? Was it a year back? It might have been even that far. Um, might have been six years. We're in pandemic time. Yeah, that's true. Know. Who knows? Um, I basically came to you and asked you on Twitter in a DM, 
is there any game that's going to scratch the sort of like BattleTech 2018 oh, game yeah. mercenary management sim itch? Uh, and like, you know, is there like a game out there that is basically just the Glenn Cook's the ba- the Black Company as a video game? <laughs> Uh, and you said Battle Brothers. <laughs> That's what Battle Brothers is. So I did play Battle Brothers a little bit back then. And I didn't say this to you because you were very kind and uh, gave me the recommendation. But I thought to myself at the time, is there a game like this that doesn't look like this? Because <laughs> I don't <laughs> like the way that Battle Brothers looks. Well, uh, yeah, I would say War Tales is very simply that game with also some major changes. But yeah, um, uh, Luke, would you like to just talk about sort of what that what War Tales is, and I can I can get into like how that matches with Battle Brothers and various other games. There's a lot of games that I see in this. But. Yeah, so you've already given it kind of a broader genre like introduction, but you're you're essentially putting command of a band of mercenaries and then sort of let loose in this incredibly vast sort of medieval slash fantasy world, and you're ultimately responsible for this party of mercenaries, uh, not just in a kind of linear story completing battle undertaking kind of way, but in a, in a survival game management kind of way as well. So you've got to keep these guys fed. You've got to keep them happy. You've got to keep their relationships with each other, um, positive. Um, you've got to make sure you sleep at night and that everybody gets enough food. You've got to make sure that everybody gets paid, um, you know, it's you it's this just the size of the company to match what your food and money. Yeah, yeah, it's it's is. it begins feeling like a isometric RPG, and it very mm-hmm. quickly turns into wow, I'm up to my elbows here in like football manager, <laughs> like you've already said, like <laughs> football manager stuff. Um, so yeah, it is a surprisingly multifaceted um, attempt at sort of recreating the experience of being a mercenary beyond just you know, the headline battle undertaking stuff. Um, and that's why I love it. The other thing that I would add about uh, just the world that it's in is that it's extremely low fantasy. Battle Brothers even had like necromancers and stuff running around and orcs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just people, at least as far as I've gotten, I got through the first chapter into the the second like main uh, main region of the game. Uh, but yeah, there, there's some references to things that might be supernatural, but it's unclear if they're even real. And, uh, for the most part, it, this is just people you are, you are dealing with their motivations. It's a fantasy world, but if they had slapped it in medieval Germany, uh, it would probably not be terribly different. Um, if I can interject, I'll, I will say I, even in the first chapter, I was running around and, um, it is mostly that, especially early on, but I did uh, just today see a big giant patch of mist in the forest uh, in the game recently. And I was just like, I wonder what happens if I walk through there, because you can walk through forests and stuff and it allows you to ambush enemies and get like a surprise jump attack on them. Um, mm-hmm. And I got ambushed instead by ghost wolves. Um Ooh. And I was like, oh, OK, is that just like white wolves or something like that? Is just the, that's just this game's like name for a variant of wolves. No, they were ghosts. They were see through. Um, and I was fighting them and I got the message on screen. A nightmare has appeared and like a giant, like 12 foot um, ghost elk appeared and was like a bo- mini boss fight all of a sudden, just like dropped into my Ooh. lap. Um, and when I beat that mission, um, 
they dropped like spectral flesh and stuff like that. So there is some slightly supernatural yeah. stuff going on. You don't have access to any of it as far as I've seen. You you can't like throw fireballs and stuff like that. Yeah. But there is some you know, if you stray too far off the beaten path, you will be encounter you will encounter some weird things or like at one point I found like a farmer who they they very clearly referenced like a disease similar to like rabies or like a zombie virus or something that was going to eventually cause him to turn and kill his family. Yeah. So a farmhand or the the farmer's wife rather asked me to to kill him uh before he turned yeah i i did run into that one but yeah that was that could have been a random like right. fake fantasy disease or it could have been something magical it was hard to hard to really grasp but yeah it does it does seem like there is a little bit of fantasy in that low fantasy but for the most part at least at the start it's all people um which leads me to the other game that I sort of saw in this this DNA, and I feel like this is there's there are a lot of games lately that I keep seeing as like Darklands Revenge, uh, Darklands for those who aren't positively ancient like myself was an early '90s microprose game where you played as. Uh, the leader of like a small RPG band of up to four people, like occasionally they would die or retire or you could retire them. So it wasn't always four people, but it was usually a four, four character RPG where you wandered around medieval Germany and sort of dealt with pseudo occult things, tried to make your money. There was kind of a main plot, but it was actually very hard to grasp. Uh, you'd have to be really good at the game and the game was always so dense and so janky and often not actually fun to play that uh i never actually got anywhere near that main plot but it kind of lives in uh game designer game critic game game fan mythology as this sort of this is the way that rpgs could have gone or this is this is a path that is maybe a little less taken uh that like we we can see these games as like a simulation of existing within a world instead of just uh um progressing through a narrative and for whatever reason war tales was giving me a pretty major darklands vibe uh when battle brothers never did uh and i'm not exactly sure what that, why that is uh so yeah, there are a lot of games in this in in this kind of new newish or rising category of tactical RPG management games, um, but it does kind of go back to these these very old ideas that never quite made it, and now we're getting these like accessible forms. And War Tales, I think, is a pretty surprisingly accessible game. There's a lot of jank to it, but I found it just pretty easy to pick up and say i know what i'm doing yeah it's very yeah, it's it's very elegantly sort of leads it doesn't even lead you by the hand but the the important things you need to do in this game are very easy to understand and then everything else that comes later you know the way any other good game does it it eases you into that just through experience so maybe half an hour one hour in you know okay these guys have to be fed these we have to set up a camp this is how you fight I need to go into a town to buy stuff and meet people. And then two hours, three hours, four hours in, you start 
you know, okay, this is how we level up. This is how we, this is how the bonuses and the tactical combat work. And so it initially looks kind of overwhelming because they do sometimes have a lot of buttons and stuff. It is, yeah, it does a really good job of just sort of showing you this vast world, but then sort of leading you into it nice and gently without the need for excessive tutorials or like, you know, an introductory campaign or, or anything that overt. Yeah. There's yeah. not even really like a overarching goal at the start of the game. The way that the story is dished out to you is rather than rather than being like, here's a journal, here's all the things that you need to do next. It's like very much uh, like a progress bar that fills up as you just bump into things. If you yeah. find the, the game is split into a bunch of regions. And one of the first things that it asks you actually, do you want the game to allow you to explore anywhere and have like oblivion style scaling enemies? Or do you want each zone to be more like MMOs where, you know, you'll start in zone one and enemies will be level one to five. And then you go to zone two enemies are level five to eight or whatever. Um, and each of those individual zones then has a sort of ongoing story that you piece together as you meet different characters that tell you about it. The first area is very much like about a refugee crisis. A bunch of people have come from another country where there's apparently like a civil war or some kind of genocide going on. And a bunch of people have fled now to this place. And a lot of the conflict is about like, well, a lot of these people have fled this place, but then a lot of people in the area are treating them very poorly and who do you side with and you can in fact pick different sides and get different rewards and that sort of style of thing but the progress bar on the like story chapters will fill up kind of regardless of what you decide because it's mostly just about like how is this conflict progressing around you you're kind of not the chosen one you're not the i keep comparing it to Baldur's gate in my head because i do think it has like you were saying luke mm -hmm. some connections to like crpgs and infinity engine games in some places um but you're not the ball spawn you're not like uh commander shepherd you're just kind of helping individual people and then things will happen yeah so that progress meter was initially my least favorite thing about this game and then very quickly became my most favorite thing about the game because i initially thought man this is a really arbitrary way of pushing me through a main storyline like why like why don't i have a journal why don't i have a list of main objectives that i'm supposed to be completing to progress this game in the way that i think this game should be progressing and then gradually as you play the game and understand its pacing and its and the way it's structured you actually i actually really learned to love the way that like you said it's it's something you bump into it's not something that you are dragged through the game by it's it's not like this game has a main street with some laneways off the side that you explore at your own leisure this game is nothing but laneways like you just have to wander all around it at your own pace enjoying the, the scale of the world and i really love that sort of feeling that every region i go to i have to poke my head into every area of it and fully explore it but not in a way that feels like i'm chasing up you know loose ammo at, at the end of a boss fight or that kind of stuff it really does sort of aid this feeling that i'm exploring and learning about and experiencing this vast space in a way that's not pushing me to a point on a map that says that's my next main objective. Yeah, the um, the objective, like the big end of the quest is they'll give you a passport to get into the next area, but you can also just go and buy that passport for a pretty decent chunk of money. Uh, it, it will save you money and get you experience and all, all the other rewards from doing the quests that lead you to that point. But if you're just like, screw this place, I don't want to take sides here. 
you can just wander off and go explore somewhere else. And as Nir said, uh, there is, um, there is like a, uh, a, a leveling option that you can choose or a difficulty option where you can have the enemies, like if you happen to decide to go to this next place, you can decide to have the enemies be, you know, at your level or maybe there's some much much higher level or maybe there's some much much lower level or whatever uh and that uh that's really interesting because this is this game kind of feels like it should be a roguelike and it has a lot of roguelike characteristics but it's also uh not it's the the story does exist in specific spots you can adjust the difficulty so you have different experiences when you restart it as you unlock new zones you will be able to choose those new zones for future campaign starting uh starting areas but there are specific things and they are pretty much the same every time but what you decide to do what who the characters you bring into it but you still are going to be dealing with that refugee crisis with the the ex mayor of one of the refugee cities against the the lady mayoress of uh Stormcarp or whatever it is the the first town and that's just that's going to be consistent but how you how you get around to there might completely change yeah, when they ask you to make the decision between the dynamic scaling and the sort of set MMO style difficulty, I can't remember how how big a deal they make of it at the time. But from what I've seen and read about the game after I've sort of played it, I feel like that decision is way more monumental than in any way that they've presented it. Like I've like I played this game for maybe ten hours. Like that's a long time objectively, but like I've obviously got a ton of other games to play, so I haven't been able to only play War Tales for the last month. Um, I was 10 hours in and thought I knew what War Tales was. And then I read about other people's experiences with the game. And so I chose the dynamic scaling option because I was like, oh, just like for no reason, I just picked one. The experiences I've heard people that chose the MMO style, like different difficulties for different regions thing is like a different game. Like I've been rolling with six, seven party members because to me that feels like a manageable number of people I can talk to and feed and stuff. And I've found out people are running like what, there's like 14 people you can have in a party and you're running into 14, like you're running into these huge enemy forces as well, which changes the, the way battles work, which changes the amount of time you're spending in battles. It changes the, your feeding and your pay and and the whole management side of the game blows wide open just from making that one choice. And I think it's, it's really incredible that like we're talking about a game that's vast in its possibilities and, and things that you can do, but it's, vast in two completely separate ways that will vary depending on that one decision you make at the start. It's like War Tales A and War Tales B almost. Yeah. I'm actually like really curious too because like I'm playing on the MMO style fixed difficulty settings and stuff and I'm wondering how much that scaling occurs in a side of a region because one of the last things I did when I was playing was like I was trying to get to the sort of refugee haven on my latest um, save and I walked over to a guy and there was just like a one dude normally on the overworld. You can see even your guys will be running around like a little party. And at any point you can like drop down and make camp and you kind of carry a base with you, that sort of thing. Um, But in that very infinity engine style of way, it's like everybody trailing behind you. And I came across one dude 
just by himself in the middle of the forest, not a bandit camp, not anything, but he was hostile. And I got close to him and it like zoomed in on his face as I came to like go talk to him. And it's just this like old man in like red and gold armor with a huge like massive morning star slung over one shoulder and it says he's a champion a level three champion i was like oh okay it's like a boss fight that i've just stumbled into for no reason uh that's interesting but he's only level three most of my guys are level three so it's probably and there's only one of him so it's probably fine no 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 <laughs> uh that guy uh turns out can uh one hit kill he acts like seven times a turn uh or seven times a round or whatever you would say and uh he can like one hit kill even my guys who are like you know i have been rolling with me for like five levels at this point or something like that because i'm messing around inside of each zone and just like really soaking up everything i can do and so i feel like i'm pretty fairly over leveled for where i'm at in that run and he just decimates me and it's like well now i have to like consider it's like okay do I just go back and get really good at blacksmithing? Because there's like all these mini games and side professions in this game for things like fishing and woodcutting and all of this other stuff. And you can, if you blacksmith really good, you can make better armor. And it's like, do I need to like go and do that now? Is that going to start becoming a gate for me? Not just levels because I'm over leveled past this guy, but he's still wiping the floor with me. Yes. The answer is yes. You need to go blacksmith. (laughs) Uh, I, I, I think I lost like two characters to that guy, but like I didn't, I wasn't in serious danger of losing and I had made sure that, you know, my characters all had pretty much at least one layer of upgrade beyond the the garbage that they start with. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's an interesting side part of the game. And I think, uh, yeah, let's talk about the combat because I really like the combat in this game and it would be, it's very difficult for, or it's very easy for a game with simple square-based tactical combat. One person goes, the next person goes. It'd be very easy for many, many games to just kind of half-ass that. Yeah, you're on a square, you make your move, then they go, whatever. Who cares? But this one feels smooth. It feels like your decisions tend to matter. Uh, it feels like there is legitimate danger for many of your characters. Uh it feels like sometimes, yes, you are just going to have someone die and you deal with that, which is a feeling that I like in these these kind of management games. I want to be forced to to work around constraints of, you know, sudden injury, sudden death, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I, I ended up liking that a lot. How about you, Luke? Yeah, I think they introduce a lot of really, like a lot of the, like you said, the it's very easy for melee-based turn-based tactical combat to be incredibly basic. Like I'm just going to move this guy in front of this guy. They're going to hit each other with swords and one of them's going to die eventually. I really like the way this game brings in a lot of very contextual interruptions to that. So I'm, I'm thinking in terms of there are a lot of the more powerful melee weapons, like the, the larger ones, the great swords and the, the larger axes and stuff where you can't just gang up on the enemy because they have a swing radius and if any of your guys are within range of that swinging axe they'll take as much damage as the enemy is and those are those are really powerful weapons if you have an archer camped at the back serving as your sniper you can't fire through your guys like if you try and shoot a bad guy and one of your guys is in the way it will hit him 
these things make, you know, perfect sense when I'm saying them out loud because that's what would happen in real life. But there's so many turn-based games will overlook that kind of thing in the name of streamlining it and making it easier to manage. I think this does a really great job of like, yes, melee-based turn-based combat is a, is simple. You know, you don't have to worry about cover and, and a lot of this other stuff like you are in XCOM destructible things and, and whatever, but it does make it a lot more interesting and flexible than it might otherwise have been. Yeah, the it also plays really fast. Like it feels very smooth to just move a character, make your decision, do that decision, then the enemy goes. Like having that be having those things both feel weightless or like too fast uh can be an issue. Or if they just feel too ponderous, you're like, okay, now I wait for 10 seconds for this guy to to make his swig. Okay, this is this this combat has become annoying for me as opposed to uh entertaining for me because I'm just I'm just mostly watching the effects of things. But it feels like the pacing is largely largely, you know, what I want to feel when I do this. And uh uh been playing the uh Darkest Dungeon 2 uh beta or whatever uh, review copy that's what it is and like the Darkest Dungeon games are another good example of this they feel very weighty but they're also very fast when you when you make those decisions and uh yeah i feel like that's kind of an unspoken but very important part of uh how a tactical combat game feels plus it has those yeah. cool murder animations like XCOM does. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> Where if you like kill, yeah, if you critical hit or, or sometimes it's just the last guy on the battlefield as well, the camera will zoom right in and you'll just disgustingly just ram a sword through the guy's throat or something and there's this horrible wet smashing melon sound as it happens. It's very satisfying. Luke is grinning here. Uh, for those <laughs> Mass- massively, massively. It's my favorite part. <laughs> Uh, I, I like the one that's just like the the mace guys, the warriors. I think they are uh, when they just the one handed mace ones just like swing and just crack a guy on the head, and that's it. Like it's it's so fast, and it just feels so satisfying. Um, Nir, did you have any thoughts on combat? I like it quite a bit. I actually I really echo the the Darkest Dungeon comparison. It's it's very much in that same like snappy, but you can feel the blade going down into the bone kind of moment uh, with a lot of that stuff, which is like a really hard thing to nail. And it's like a very important mix of like sound design and um, animation speed that is, I think, really, really hard to like. it's one of those intangibles that's really hard to gauge and it's something you see a lot of games stumble on, even in like the, the darkest dungeon sort of like successor games, things like mist over things like Aria Chronicle and stuff like that. And it's really good here. I do wish there was a little bit more, not, not necessarily variety in terms of like the attacks that you can do. I actually think they, for a game where you can't do magic and you don't have guns, I think they actually do a really good job of making some interesting choices with things like my my captain character that I have. Eventually, once you have people like get enough um, fame in the world, you can assign somebody to be the captain of the troop. And my captain is like a rogue with a like spinning poison dagger that leaves poison clouds on the ground um, if uh, she stabs somebody. But also she has a smoke bomb that if there's like rules of engagement in like the... Um, 
Dungeons and Dragons type sense. So it's like if somebody is engaged in melee combat with somebody else, if you try to move away from them, they get an attack of opportunity against you. Um, so it's a free attack. If you use a smoke bomb, it forces the attack of opportunity on every enemy in that area, which is really powerful in my experience because um, you can just get free mm -hmm. hits on like a large swath of your guys. Um, which then allows you to like regenerate more of the games like Valor, which is kind of like mana for special abilities and stuff, because a lot of guys will have abilities that are like every time you engage an enemy in combat, you regenerate one Valor. And it's like, well, if they've dis disengaged from my tank, my tank can now act again, re-engage with them and get free Valor back. And I think they actually do like a really, really good job of with the limited tool set available to the setting, making that interesting. I do wish this was something that I actually saw like a YouTuber I like a lot more Tismal. Uh, talking about i kind of wish there was more stuff done with terrain not necessarily mm -hmm. cover stuff but there's like there's like difficult terrain where you like walk through mud or something like that and walking through mud makes you move slower i would love to see something like elevation uh for archers like luke you mentioned the archers will shoot through your own guys well what if i could like move an archer back up onto like a hill or a ridge or something like that and he could shoot down and then that's an advantage i could fight for on the battlefield because as it is right now it's a lot of like it's really interesting in the moment to decide who i'm going to attack and when i'm going to use skills but there's very very little attention paid to where i'm moving my guys or making suboptimal choices to get into you know for moment to moment combat to get into better tactical positions there's just not really any of that going yeah. on yeah it's generally you want to move closer to an enemy and there's not a whole lot of like depending on the weapons that you have and they have the big swing swords and stuff are the main main consideration there i think um yeah you mentioned the valor points and i do like the valor points they're they're like group kind of mana system um, and you get them both from like resting and various external in the world things and actions that you take in the game. So like if a character kills somebody, sometimes you, you can develop them so that they get uh, a valor point where that happens or when they engage somebody or like every turn that they are engaged. So if you just want to have a strong character, go find the toughest enemy and just, you know, win the battle around that, then you can keep getting valor points that way. Um, they also often come or go depending on like plot decisions that you make outside the game. I had one that I just posted on Twitter where a guy was complaining that he was getting wounded in every battle. And I was like, yeah, he is getting wounded in every battle. And the two options that I had for him were compensate. I could raise his wage 10 gold per it's every three days. I think you have to pay them. Uh, or he could cry about it and crying would lower my group's happiness. And it would also take away like two of my semi-permanent valor points until I rested next. So like I had to decide, you know, is potentially making this guy, uh, making this guy like cost me so much more worth the hit on these valor points in my next combat. And, I felt that it was, so I made him cry, which uh, <laughs> is a funny thing to say now, and it is a funny thing, but it's uh, it was it's just kind of a neat it's a neat system that doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it's like forcing you to engage fully with this system until you're ready to realize how it works. You're just like, oh, okay, I can make some of my guys do some some special moves. Cool. Oh. Now I see how the special moves 
get added. And then, oh, now I have options in my like overall grand progression menu that I can increase their maximum valor points or I can uh, understand like what some of the decisions I made earlier were about, or I can develop my characters to, as mentioned, to like get the valor points for engaging or staying engaged or whatever. Uh, and all that ends up like being a choice that I learn how I want to make it as it's as it's happening and also creating interesting choices in the game. Uh, when I'm like, okay, do I want to try to develop my Valor points early in this combat or do I want to try to get an initial massive advantage by blowing them all on barrages and uh, the giant swings or double swings that some of those sword guys can do? And like, yeah, that's it's... It's like a fast, good decision that uh, I think is pretty impressive. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about with the combat, and this goes along a little bit with what Luke said, and just the overall game, especially as it compares to Battle Brothers and many others, is like, this feels like a game where someone played a tactical management game and was like, I can do this better. Particularly Battle Brothers, there's some some other like moral things that I think we'll get to later. But uh, one of the big things that, uh, oh, and then they learned Unity to do it or whatever. Uh, but one of the big things that stands out is that it just feels like your characters and the characters in the game are kind of like always permanently the characters that they are. You're not like going to different zones and getting a completely different animation and whatever. Like I went to one, you know, I went to one like little guard camp where there's two characters. One's a guy who's standing there waiting for you to talk to them. One's person who's like sitting down on the ground uh, wanting to sell you things. And next to her was a uh, woodcutting stump. And if you have a woodcutter, you can go and do that. And like I just said, okay, I, I'm going to go chop some wood so that I can upgrade some stuff later. And the camera just kind of zoomed slightly or i don't think the camera even moved it just like cut to him in this spot and he's like actually in that spot she's still sitting there and like this whole game is like you change one little thing and your characters walk into this new zone and those it's it feels it's difficult to describe because this just feels kind of like the way a game should be but it's not it feels like it's sticking with like just your customization choices and your uh, and the way that the world is built and the way that the animations all come together. Like they're all, they're all the same. It's not bouncing back and forth between like combat mode and town mode. Um, and it's just very impressive for what I, I just checked this game company and they're actually, you know, pretty decently sized, a few dozen people. Uh, but it feels like it's both like something that could be made by one or two people and also something that clearly had a lot of thought put into it in order to make it fit the way that it is. It's funny when I talk about this game with other people who haven't played it or who haven't even heard about it, but I think they'll be super into it. One of the first things I have to mention beyond like what it is, is plus this game actually looks and sounds good. <laughs> like my, yeah. like I, I got into this on this show a few years ago when we talked about unity of command, where I, I hated the first game's little head avatar art design and yeah. that's the main reason i bounced off battle brothers is i was like little head guys no hate it i don't want any part of this game <laughs> the 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 super surprising thing the further i got into this game was it looks amazing um it continues to look amazing the further you go into it and poke around in it like you just said little graphical tricks and and camera things that you aren't expecting 
um, the way you, the dialogue's all voiced, um, and it's not, you know, it's not going to win any awards, but it's it's okay, like it's serviceable. It massively exceeds the kind of production value and quality that you'd be expecting of a weird strategy management game. You're yeah. expecting compromises to come with like, okay, they've had all these huge ideas. They've worked all these systems into it. It's going to look like shit. Um, <laughs> so it's like, it's really great that, Hey, it has all these amazing ideas. It's really fun, but it is also a really nice game to be around. So I, I'm going to defend Battle Brothers for a minute here. I'm like, yeah, it looks kind of, it looks kind of goofy and terrible. And in some ways it is, but like, it also reminds me of Darkest Dungeon, which is a game that I bounced off of the graphical style initially. Someone said, no, no, just play it. And like, as I played it, I realized, oh, here's all the strengths of why they chose to do all that. Um, at this game, like the strengths of why they chose to make it look, and I mentioned, I I do not use like Unity like as a a per, as a derogatory thing, like uh, many gamer types do. It looks like a kind of Unity like, very solid three D, uh, customizable. Um, it's not going to blow you away, but it is just feeling like it's right for the world that it's trying to portray, and that's something that. I you know enjoy a lot. It it's really not like the way the way I keep describing it in my head is it's not photorealistic by any stretch of the imagination. This is not a naughty dog game, but instead of like shoveling resources into making it look really really pretty, they shoveled a lot of resources into just like attention to detail. That that thing you mentioned about like people appearing by the woodcutter shed and stuff like that or or by the stump and and chopping wood is like, "Oh wow, that is something that a lot of lesser games would just not think to do or would be like, yeah. well, we'll put that on the cutting room floor. The One of my favorite things in this, which is just like a really striking art style decision on top of everything, is if you go like into a dark cave and like spelunk for like uh, treasure in these ruins and mm -hmm. stuff like that, you can pull out a torch and the way that that is presented on screen is the same way it's presented in like most places where you go to like a town or something like that is it it doesn't show you the tavern from like an overhead view really or a um first person view unless you're talking to somebody it shows you like a tavern or a blacksmith or whatever as almost like a diorama in the world where you're at this kind of like three quarters eagle eye view and the, they do that same thing if you're inside of a deep dark dungeon but there's no light in the dark dungeon but you can bring torches and if you move your uh mouse cursor around um it's all like lit around your mouse cursor and you can like Ooh. look around the environment and like turn the diorama left and right to like oh i'm checking behind this sarcophagus and i can click i'm just clicking it's like i'm not moving guys around but it is respecting where my mouse cursor is and only lighting areas within like three feet of that mouse cursor because that's where the torch is and it's like just looks so cool and good in a way that like yeah it it's probably not ray traced but like it's so striking and so dark around the places where it is not lit that you kind of trick yourself into believing it looks much better than it does just because it's such a smart art design choice yeah um one thing i do wish is that you could you could add a little more color to your characters. They they do do they do the European thing of making all your characters white, which is mm -hmm. or you know they you could have like somewhat tanned skin, but it's not 
there's not a lot of options outside what you would say, like a, a white European would, would consider, which I don't love uh, just a for, you know, there's a lot of ideology in those kinds of decisions. And two, because uh, it does make, especially when you start getting random characters joining your crew, it often makes them kind of just look all the same. Oh, here's a person with some sort of mix between brown and grayish hair. And maybe they have a beard that has a mustache and maybe they don't. Okay. Uh, it, that that part is a little difficult as someone who is a big fan of strong customization for the characters. Uh XCOM XCOM 2 listeners will will remember how I created an XCOM or an X-Men mod with over 100 characters in it. Uh so yeah, that's a that's a thing that I like to do and this game does not offer a ton of options for that. Uh even just the color of the armor gets like slowly improved as you go through the game, but it's still a pretty muted set of colors. Um so that's a thing that I do wish there was a bit more of. While I do like the fairly grounded art style, just, I don't know, uh, slightly brighter hair colors. Uh, I did want to go back to combat for a minute uh, because uh, there is one part that we have complained about that we didn't we didn't actually mention, and that was that while the while the general rules for melee combat are good, and this is a game that doesn't really have a whole lot of magic to to change that around, the rules for poison and especially for fire are um, fucking insane. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you, it's napalm. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very strange thing where fire is suddenly just like incredibly powerful. And if you have a character who walks through fire, they are burning. And then like, if they stand next to another character, that character will be burning and this will take away a quarter of their hit points every turn. And the only way to get the fire off is to use a skill that's like a skill that costs valor points and moves you, which is pretty, it's not super common. I have like two characters with run and one character with, uh, the kind of ramming thing that will will move me through an enemy, but those those are the only ones that I have available. It's like stop, drop, and roll is not an option here. No, uh, and it's horrifically contagious. Like this is this is Ebola in a movie. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a very strange thing, especially early in the game when you're not prepared for it. You don't necessarily have skills that'll put it out. Uh, yeah, I don't maybe like this it. is where the magic comes into it. Maybe maybe it's a game <laughs> that's it's not as concerned with trolls and and goblins and elves, but it will have magic fire. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that is kind of maybe where some of the logic into it comes from, because it's like in a world where your characters aren't casting magic spells and fireballs and that sort of thing. Like if I'm the developer, I'm like probably searching for ways that I can, quote unquote, realistically make um, real world things feel impactful on the flow of battle. But the problem is that War Tales and I think overall, this is actually a really good thing for the game doesn't really rely on random chance at all like actually yeah. tying back into darkest dungeon 2 another game i've been playing a lot of like rng is still very frustrating a lot of the time and war tales there's no like there's no chance to hit there's no 
you, you know, oh, you had a 99% chance to shoot this guy and you just missed. It's like, no, if you click the thing, assuming there's not anything else getting in the way, like having a guy stand between your other guy and you try to shoot him and he's literally blocked, in the way, literally in the way, um, you're just going to hit him and you're going to get hit. And the fact that fire is a 100% chance to light your guy on fire. So like early on, you can craft those torches and you can use them on enemies. And it's like, aha, I can light my enemies on fire. No, because if you do that, you're just going to light your own guy on fire immediately. So it like really limits the tactical value of ever doing that. Unless you, I guess later on specifically have somebody who can just like immediately disengage from an enemy and has leftover points or something. But Boy, is it yeah. punitive. Yeah. And just the overall uh, damage over time in this game feels super powerful. You say your your captain is a poisoner type yeah. uh, or a ranger with poison skills. And yeah, that that can feel like a big thing when those hits land. Yeah, because they, they they again, it's 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 a guaranteed like as long as they get hit uh they're gonna take poison and they're gonna take it every turn and I, as far as i can tell like poison doesn't go away mid-battle unless you have a special skill or use like a like an item or something like that to get rid of it you can craft potions and things that do various things in here and it's possible there's just recipes i haven't found yet um which we haven't even talked about there's like so much of that in this game uh between that and like the base building aspect um but also yeah you're just going to take two damage every turn from poison um until the battle ends and then magically poison disappears after the battle ends yeah and you know this can create some frustrations like i was doing the big uh big final battle of stormcarp i think that's the name uh i was doing the big final battle we're yeah we're gonna we're gonna go with stormcarp for now um and it this takes place on like a field that is covered in poison and fire and stuff. And whichever side you choose, uh, the old mayor or new mayor uh, has to stay alive. And they have a little exclamation mark on them. And it's like, yes, you have to keep this guy alive. Uh, and I'm taking the refugees side and the the guy in charge of them is a ranger. So he's... The ranger is basically the rogue in this game. Uh, yeah. It's not the D&D ranger. So when I say that, I mean, like, he's a, he's a thief. He's running around with a dagger. Not a ton of hit points. Uh, he catches on fire and gets poisoned. And, like, the battle is done. I cannot, I cannot let him die. And he's going to die. Especially the way that death rules work. Uh, damage over time is basically an instant kill, if that's the thing that gets you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you know, I put up the game for two days, and that's why I haven't really explored the second zone much, is oh. because that guy has just bled and poisoned himself to death that one time. And then I went back and finally did it. I, like, said, okay, I know how this battle works. I'll get, you know, I'll take these guys out first, make sure that this guy doesn't run through the poison, and we're good. Uh, but, yeah, it it feels... There is, as, as Nir mentioned, an apothecary side job where you can brew your own potions and such, but there does not appear to be any kind of like medic job where you have a character who could go to your best friend who has been poisoned and be like, I am going to stop you from being poisoned, which is a very strange thing given how punitive these things can feel. Um, 
Yeah. And this, 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 is, this is like my biggest, my biggest complaint with the game. This is the, the only part of it that I really feel like this is not just like a nitpick on something that I really enjoy. It genuinely would want these things to be modded to, to work better. It, yeah. You say mod, like also like one of my first thoughts with this game is like, this is an incredible base game. And with expansions and i hope there are are expansions the game seems to have sold very well so i assume there's going to be expansions like battle brothers has just had like a like a avalanche of expansions over time and stuff like that that just add new regions and types of characters and stuff like that i would love to see like a ten dollar expansion five dollar expansions twenty dollar expansions or whatever that add things like new classes that can do more stuff like that maybe an expansion that adds more customization options or go the paradox stellaris route you know free updates with expansion content on top too or ten dollars and you get rid of fire. So ten dollars and you get rid of fire. <laughs> that yeah, would improve um, it. Luke, uh, this is a thing that you talked about pretty quick, pretty, pretty instantly when you got the game. It's just the world in this game it feels like a nice place to be. And we were sort of talking uh. before the show that this game is this game is it's a game with permadeath it's a game where you could like make terrible decisions but it's also super cozy this is a nice place to this is a nice place to go massacre several brigand camps of of people who are just turned that to a life of crime because uh the aristocrats wouldn't give them a chance to live but it's not it's a nice world it's it's and it's very deliberately so like I feel like it's a really, un- this is the joke, like we're doing all this murdering and trying to stay alive in a hostile fantasy universe. But the way it's structured where, because it's a management game and you're just always doing little battles and little missions and and just wandering around, just sort of snacking all the time as you go, there's never that sort of consequential feeling that something massive or stressful or out of the ordinary is happening in this world. And that design is being enormously helped by that single visual decision to make it an isometric game, pull the camera right back to a to a uh, giving you such an amount of scale that few other games would ever sort of dream of doing. And I, the way I put it in my impressions on the site was it's an entire game that feels like that montage in Fellowship of the Ring when the theme song kicks in and you're just seeing them running along mountainsides and grassy plains and along roads and that sense of adventure and vastness and that, that feeling of wanting to be a tiny adventurous person in an enormously overwhelming place just gets it's absolutely nailed every time you play the game. Like objectively, if you look at all these decisions, like the camera's right back, most people are going to want a camera that's zoomed right in so you can see your characters. You know, it's, it's, a sort of it's not fixed but it's a it's a kind of fixed viewpoint people want a 3d space it's you move really slowly you think people are going to want the, the option to speed things up and go faster but like all these options to make things slow and deliberate these pacing decisions these these art decisions are just they all come together so perfectly to make this place that is just like it really is one of the most adventurous sort of immersive uh, fantasy universes i've ever played yeah, I will there say, are a like, couple decisions that I think are really important for this, and they are decisions that, as I describe them, would sound like bad things in a lot of games. Um, there's no journal. 
uh, you just you take a quest and you see where it is on your map, and that's it. Uh, like you will you'll go there, and the quest will tell you like roughly what you're doing. But generally speaking, you are going to a place on a map. You are not trying to like follow the instructions. You aren't constantly pressing J to figure out what to do next. You're pressing M to see your map if you have any need to and most of the time I don't feel like you you do I like going to the map because I am a person who likes maps but uh this is not a game that like where I expect to be on a screen that's mostly text which is oddly rare for RPG type games these days um the second thing that I think is really important that it does is that when you're on kind of the the moving around map, the traveling map, not the the telling you where to go map, your 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 default screen of wandering around the world, you cannot zoom out terribly far, uh, and you cannot scroll that map. You are locked into this one perspective on this world, and this it keeps you like grounded on what you're trying to do in a way that is surprisingly effective. And like, like I said, when I introduced this, these sound like things that would be like negatives for a game, but this is like instantly a positive. I'm like the first time I discovered, Oh, I can't scroll over. Oh, I have to like pay attention now. I'm. And then not only do you have to pay attention, attention but everything you interact with from that viewpoint is a living part of the game world is you're not you're not like when we say you you have an objective on the map you don't reach that map and suddenly trigger a cutscene or whatever is every person you run into on the map is visible on the overworld map as someone who's running up to you they're running up to you at scale so if it's an enemy party of enemy brigands or whatever you can see how many brigands are in that party um like there are the roads are full of caravans and cops and all these other sort of inconsequential NPC characters that have nothing to do with your adventure, but they're there to interact with if you want them or if you need them. And the way that interactivity is all played out from that single slow-paced isometric screen just even helps that immersion further. Okay, I'm stuck in this viewpoint, but I have to live everything in this game through that viewpoint in such a deliberate way that it makes it so immersive. Yeah, like when you're in a town, um, it like sets you to basically a town menu where you're choosing whether to go to the apothecary, whether you're going to the, go to the inn, whether you're going to go talk to the mayor, etc. But you can watch people like coming and going from the town. And if you say, oh, there's a merchant there that maybe I want to go see for whatever reason, uh, maybe they sell iron because the people in the town aren't selling iron. Uh you can be like instantly click away and go over there and like go chase that merchant down. And it's, it's not that consequential in things like that, but it does feel like this is kind of a simulated world, which is uh, just an interesting feeling near you had something you wanted to say earlier. Yeah, I mean, like, in just in speaking of like the coziness element of it, I think that the game does a really smart thing of presenting itself as very much as like a game where it is, you know, it's cold and hard out here. There's permadeath. It's it's a terrible time uh, in the empire or whatever. But at the end of the day, mostly what you're managing is just: do you have enough food? Do you have enough money? 
and that'll basically keep everybody happy. There's like, you're not contracting diseases the way that you are in Darkest Dungeon that are going to be like long, long term problems for you. It's basically you you go and camp and most things go away. You finish a battle, poison stops, fire stops. People aren't going to be burned. They might be injured, but you just need to use regular old medicine on that. And it's like one of the first things that you can craft in the game. So it presents itself and it like wears the veneer of a game that is much more hardcore and much more spreadsheety. But really at the end of the day, it boils down to like three resources. And I think that's really smart and actually makes the game much more approachable to a wider audience than it might actually even appear. If you were to like look at this game on Steam and like read its pitch in the description or something like that, you might be like, oh, that sounds pretty, pretty difficult. But really, it's fairly simple at the end of the day, just like the management elements. There's a lot of them, but they boil down to basically the same three things. And there's always more animals to hunt. There's always more brigands to fight and take their money and go to a town and buy wheat and then that leads into more things like making it fairly cozy because you have this like portable base that you're taking around with you and you can build different elements of it over time one of the first things that you can build is a is a cooking pot and building a cooking pot will allow you to um, take that food that you get from animals and stuff that's normally only worth like four points of food and it's like suddenly that becomes eight and it's like oh this just yeah, this is just like a fun little Animal Crossing type experience where I'm just like making my little crafts and everybody's happy now. Oh, look at how high their happiness meter went. Um, and then it just so happens that the happiness meter also allows you to like use more murder skills in the next battle or whatever. It's nice to bake bread for the boys. That's all. <laughs> right. So, so the other the other thing that I actually expected Luke to talk about and and he didn't, but. Uh, just the aesthetics of the world are extremely Witcher 3, to be to be very specific about it. Uh, and also the tone of the game. Uh, this feels like it's, it's a thing where, yes, we have crafted a world where horrible things happen, but there is also an element of beauty and adventure and uh, even like coziness to terrible places. Uh, there's there's like a joy to wandering through this world. Uh, the music is very has very similarly Witcher three kind of themes that uh, I I could not tell you as I am not like a technical music person, but I'm like oh god, they listen to this soundtrack almost as much as I did. I'm sure. Um, so that's that's an aspect of it. And to, to take this a little bit broader to some of the thematic stuff that I wanted to talk about, this is very clearly a European game. It's also occasionally very clearly a non-English game uh, that has been translated. Uh, probably the funniest one is I mentioned the, the big climax at the end of chapter one, uh, where you basically decide whether the refugees are going to be in charge or the existing Lady Mayoress. And the Lady Mayoress is called the Lady Mayoress consistently throughout the game. The uh, the guy who's leading the refugees is a former mayor of some other town that he had to flee. And he, when he takes over from her, you go to him and he says, I'm the new Lady Mayoress now. And it's just like, oh, you clearly did like a kind of find and replace here, didn't you? <laughs> there, There's like some German or French term that you were using for woman mayor and you just like put him in as woman mayor. Uh, or he had a 
gender epiphanies at some point in that battle. These things are possible, but uh, that's there's not some, part of the dialogue specifically. There's some great alchemy recipes out there, let me tell you, in the world of <laughs> war tales. Uh, the, but there are occasional things like on the menu, all of a sudden, like, it'll say Gerard instead of use or whatever whatever it is uh i think uh it's not the cook pot but it's like the feeding pot which are two different things which is kind of strange but regardless like you you hover over that and it doesn't actually say uh the english words but there, there's a little bit of jank in there like this is this is very a year clearly a very european game clearly a very european feeling game and one of the things that we have talked about on 3ma many times as people who enjoy a lot of the same genre of as these uh as the european developers often do our, our niche strategy games our niche rpgs tactics things uh there is like a cultural difference in how they treat medieval uh the medieval setting uh and a lot of a lot of developers seem to want to use it as an excuse to be nasty. Like it's the, the Game of Thrones things. Things were just like that back then. No, people weren't just randomly murdering each other all the time. People are terrible to women still. It's not a thing that only existed in the medieval time, et cetera, et cetera. So a game like Battle Brothers, Rob and I talked about how um, there were some weird little, I actually, I'm not sure if this made it into the show. We talked about like just the kind of weird nastiness that undergirded that game. Uh, and there was like a note in it about how, when you are recruiting someone who's a refugee, all their stats are pretty good, except clearly they're not, they don't have a lot of willpower or whatever it is in battle brothers because they didn't decide to stay and fight for their homeland. So the refugees might break and run in battle brothers a lot faster, even if they look like they're a good a good character otherwise. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> this is this is not the only reason that people would be a refugee. There are many, many reasons that they might not be able or willing to stand and fight for their country than just they're slightly cowardly. And there are characters in the, these refugee characters who exist as, like, I think, clearly the more sympathetic side in mm-hmm. uh the the initial chapter here at war tales but one of them specifically goes and says like it's not that we didn't want to fight for our country it's that like all these other things specifically happened and it's like they read the same little biography text in battle brothers and were like no fuck that we are refugees could exist in these other ways and like yeah there's there's a not nastiness here. And to go back to The Witcher 3, uh, The Witcher 3, I felt part of the reason it was so successful, just like hitting the mainstream compared to The Witcher 2 and especially The Witcher 1, was that it was not a nasty game. It was a game that took place in a nasty world, but there was usually some kind of like mitigating factor that you could use to at least morally um try to make things somewhat better or less worse. Whereas in The Witcher 2, there's a lot of quests that are just like, yeah, this is shitty and the only way to get out of it is to be shitty. Uh, Have fun being a shit. Uh, And so, you know, I don't know. I I enjoy that War Tales has this pushback within a world that is clearly quite violent, but it's also kind of nice to be in and around. And I think, I feel like that's, 
not always a better place to be, but uh, it's it's good to see from a European developer, at least in terms of variety. Yeah, it was nice seeing a lot of the, especially in the first chapter, a lot of sort of morally ambiguous decisions you're used to making in a modern RPG where, like you said, some of them can just be an excuse to be nasty just because the setting allows it when you play when you first start poking around just the initial like maybe first three or four hours of war tales you run into missions about that are basically about uh logging there's a there's a group of people who are logging a a for like a sacred forest to the locals and you have to interject and be like no no we can't just cut down every tree some trees are more important than others and then there's another mission about a, a landlord mission basically Right. where it's the, there's this um, family living in an abandoned, like clearly abandoned house. And then after a while, some guy comes around and says, oh, I'm actually a landlord. I own that house. And she's like, are you living in it? And he's like, no, no, I just I just own it. Get out. <laughs> and you have to sort of wade into this problem and, and deal with this very modern landlord <laughs> problem that's being told through a fantasy setting. And these are all the things that sort of come up in the first, yeah, like I said, two, three, four hours. And I thought it was really nice to be playing uh, a medieval slash fantasy game that isn't just asking you to make arbitrary, like broader arbitrary moral decisions, but sort of extremely topical ones for people living in, in Europe, especially in 2023 as well. Kind of the, like, I would describe it almost as the tutorial side quest in this game. It's like the, literally the first mission marked as easy in the inn that you go to is like oh a bunch of refugees have come through town and they're uh, attacking the farmers and stealing their stuff they're bandits they've turned bandit and stuff like that and it's like okay here we go i was so ready for this game to be like that um and then you get there and you join up and the guards are like yeah they're holed up inside this uh cavern you can go inside and um go kill them for us and we'll pay you and you go inside and instead of like starting a fight you can just talk to those people and they're like whoa please do not you are trained mercenaries we are we are people who used to be farmers ourselves and we've just like run away um we don't want to be bandits we would prefer to just be farmers or something like that but we have no other choice because they won't let us into town and do trade with us or anything like that we like we have no other choices here and like the guards chased us into this cave and now we have to like you know sneak out and do attacks and stuff like that and if you help us kill this group of guards that has like chased us down like dogs into this hole we'll just become the new guards and start protecting the uh farmers instead and then they can pay us and then we won't have to attack them yeah sorry i should clarify when i said morally ambiguous earlier uh in the first stage, the refugee crisis is definitely not presented as something that is a either or choice. Like the way the way they present, um, like you know how not long after you meet those people, you can r- keep running into those. She's basically a cop on the on the the main road between the mountains and Stormcarp. I think we agreed it was called. Um, <laughs> and sh- she's just a frothing mad racist. Like she's like she's like she she's panting. She's hunched over. She's like ah refugees. I gotta kill them all. Ah, it's like okay. This is not a sympathetic choice whatsoever. Like there is clearly, there is clearly a right side here in in this choice in particular. Um, but that was cool on its own. So, but and then so even actually, then- that's the one place where I chose against the refugees because I had a totally different interpretation of what that guy in the cave was saying. Uh, he said, like, if you go kill all these guards, then 
the people will have no choice but to to share our our things with us because we'll have the power or whatever. And I'm like, oh. fuck you, that's not how communism works. <laughs> uh, so I can him, and then. Uh, but I chose all the all the refugees in the other ones. Some of them were fairly easy. Like I just threatened the landlord into not being a dickhead. Yeah, that that worked worked out fairly well. Um, but I do think that even given that there's there's sort of a, a you know be nice to the refugees versus be mean to the refugees choice overall, uh, the specific things like luke you mentioned the logging one like these be this being a sacred force to uh the locals is i think an interesting choice and and also, that mission ties into the supernatural stuff we were talking about earlier yeah. as well because the reason and it's a sacred forest do. is they believe these little fairy folk um live in the forest that i don't think we ever see or i haven't seen them yet in the game but like these dudes are convinced that it's that those people are in there so yeah. and it's the refugees who are cutting down those trees so that's yeah that's an example of where you have to sort of weigh things up a bit more carefully the the one thing i will say is that it sounds like we're all at roughly the same stage of this game uh where we have played through the first act and maybe got on to the next part or maybe we're still exploring around that area and yeah, I don't know how much the other acts managed to continue with this. I don't know if they feel quite so fleshed out. I don't know if the balance of the higher level combat in this game works out that well. Uh, we I... suddenly it's fucking Christmas season and we're getting like 16 different codes and uh, we have to we have to prioritize which ones we're doing. Like we got this and Warhammer's Chaos Dwarves and Age of Wonders 4 and Darkest Dungeon 2, like all within three days of each other. Like, yeah, it's, it's, this is this is a game that I enjoyed poking at first out of all of those. Yeah. I'm glad I did. But there's definitely some late game stuff that I could see maybe falling apart. So it sounds like we're very enthusiastic about War Tales, but I did want to give that that slight, slight yellow light on. Um, so I actually got sent... Uh, the after I did my impressions piece, the developers sent me a save game for one of the later game areas because they oh, they anticipated wow. this maybe. They're like, hey, here's a here's a pre-baked save game. You can go check out one of the later areas. And I went there. It was very different tonally, and I got my shit wrecked within about 45 seconds. Um okay. the like the second battle I went into. So I was like, oh, I'll revisit this later. And then, like you said, things are busy right now. I haven't had a chance to go back to it yet. But it did at least feel very different to the early game. Um things yeah. were much things are much grimmer in the, in this. I, I don't know, obviously I can't remember the name of the region I went to, but yeah, things were bad in this place. Uh, it was full of like this religious secret police that were everywhere. Um, and everybody like the Spanish inquisition basically, and everybody was in hiding from them. And yeah, it was a bad place to be. Um, but yeah, I got absolutely wiped out the second battle in, but there were bears everywhere, which I thought was cool and does make me want to revisit it later. The same game I got, I had like three bears in my party. Um, oh yeah, and I, I having, keep trying having, to recruit wolves, and those wolves do not last. So yeah, you can get boars as well, which which are a little bit better. But the bears will fuck shit up. Like they are incredibly powerful and very cool. So if I can somehow find a way to get to a late game build where I'm mostly bears, um, I'm going to try and definitely uh, work that out. Um. I did notice even going into the second zone that I started poking at and picking up some quests and seeing seeing what it was like. Like the fields are in worse shape there. There's there's like clearly rotting crops there, and uh, 
that's just right off the bat, like this feels a slightly worse place. Um, one of the interesting things about when you start this game, you mentioned the options of uh, the kind of the, the difficulty and the exploration options, which are, yeah, those are, those are big choices. And like, hopefully you know how you like to play, you know, somewhat open RPGs and can make a choice there that will fit with how you play War Tales. But um, there's also the choice of which region you want to start in. So we're talking about the this initial region that everyone has to start in. But I think once you start unlocking other regions, I don't know if you have to open them or complete them. I probably should have checked this uh, before, before doing the podcast, but whatever. Uh, you can start a new game where you'll have your level one characters beginning in that particular region and go through those quests first, which uh, does feel like it would dramatically change sort of the overall feeling of um, progressing through a kind of terrible world. Uh, I also got some quests to like deliver pottery to far, far away places for what I presume is a lot of money. But uh, yeah, that was, that was an interesting feeling where like now I have know that I can go to this other place and get 500 gold, but how long is it going to take me to get there? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I put this caveat in my impressions where I think a lot of the things that have made me really love the first 10 hours of the game do sound slight warning bells for how much longer I can get into the game before it just becomes, um, I don't want to, like a grind. I didn't want to use the word, but there we go. Um, it's the, the things that make it so meandering and so chill and so able to be sort of picked at piecemeal like a snack. I just wonder how much I'm going to be compelled to play the game to the extent where I visit so many successive areas in a row. Uh, maybe that's a me problem. Maybe that's how I approach games. I don't no, know. But I, the, the way the game doesn't have that central driving storyline, um, it's really it's been really cool so far, but I also don't know whether not having that is going to sort of limit my motivation to really push into playing this game for 20, 30, 40 hours or however long it takes to sort of visit every region and, and see most of what the game's got to offer. Well, 3MA is very philosophically in favor of having games that you can play for smaller bites. And even if uh, get, just playing the opening part in the middle of the game and you don't want to feel like getting to the end, like, that's still a good experience, especially with 7,000-hour tactics games. Uh, I don't know that War Tales is 7,000 hours, but uh, there, there are definitely some of those that exist. I still have not fully finished Darkest Dungeon. Uh, I probably never will because the things in the last part of that game are the things that I find the worst about that game. Uh, so, But that doesn't mean it wasn't one of my favorite games of the past 10 years. Yeah, my hope is that because it's a very snacky game where you can just jump in, complete a quest or two, set up a camp or go to a town, jump out again in 20, 30 minutes at a time to sort of hit it real quick. My hope is that, yeah, it is a game I can just revisit constantly just throughout the year when I've got downtime between playing other games or doing other stuff. We're going to just be like, yeah, let's do 20 minutes on War Tales. Let's see what's up. Let's see how much further I can push with it and then, you know, not feel like I'm going to be spoiled or, you know, miss out on the discourse surrounding War Tales by not sort of crunching my way through to the finish of it within the first month. Yeah. All right. I think I, that about covers all I wanted to talk about. Nir, do you have any final thoughts here? 
I think that's also most of it. Like, yeah, I, I really do kind of stand by my earlier statement, I guess, about just like, I'm really curious to see where this game goes with the form of expansions and stuff like that. Because in terms of late game content, what I have seen from watching videos and stuff like that, like watching Mortismal and stuff like that, um, it sounds like it does kind of just end. It's like, yeah, there's no driving narrative. There's, you don't really like roll credits. You just kind of like, you've seen everything there is to see now and you can continue running around. And that's kind of the problem I had with Battletech um, 2018 as well. And that was kind of um, aided along a little bit by things like flashpoints um, being added in DLC, like little micro campaigns that you could play within that story. I think that would be right at home here in this. Um and just like maybe doing some more stuff with like the underground dungeons and stuff like that would be very cool. Like there's, it's such a cool system, such a fun world to live in and stuff like that. Like seeing more classes and things to just make those bite-sized moments of restarting and you just get to mess around and like, I'm going to do my little micro campaign or I'm going to play with a new character could be so cool. I like that you keep saying Battletech 2018, like that's when the Battletech started coming out. Like, yeah, uh huh. <laughs> so, yeah, Battletech 2K18. You know, everybody remembers yeah. that. Yeah, we we gave Ilan Omar a, a Gundam. <laughs> um, yeah, Luke. Any final thoughts here? Yeah, I just want to briefly shout out. I know, Nia, you mentioned this earlier, but every time you go to a town or a location on the map, the camera cuts away to an isometric cutaway view of the building. Um, that is extremely my shit. That is a lifelong fetish <laughs> I have. If any other game developers are making any kind of strategy, tactics, RPG game, um, and you are thinking about putting more cutaway buildings in your game, put them everywhere. I love it. I want to see more of it. Thank you. <laughs> It's so cool, too, because, like, you can click on anything in there. If there's, like, a chest in somebody's upstairs bedroom or whatever, you can click on it. And if you have a thief class character profession, um, they can just lockpick it. And there's a little lockpicking minigame. Or if there's, like, a little bit of hemp in their front yard, you can pick it. And it's just kind of like a cool little, ah, oh, this is all weirdly diegetic. I love this. Oh, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, stealing things in this game, because if you have a thief, which is very easy to acquire, you can just say, hey, you're a thief. Um, <laughs> you can instantly steal things. And the uh -huh. stealing is not like a thing where you will get caught right away. What you have is like a Grand Theft Auto style wanted meter filling up. And sometimes even if the meter hasn't filled up, you could run into a cop who's like, yeah, you didn't buy that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they, they shake you down and you have to figure out like if you want to fight the cops, if you want to bribe them or if you want to just give up the stuff. Um, but it's as someone who's always like a goody two shoes in games uh, where somewhat because I don't want the entire town to attack me if I steal like one egg or uh, sometimes like there's some sort of moral thing attached to it. In this game, it feels like it's uh, just a slight accent on like making the world slightly more dangerous for a little bit. And that can still be very much worth it. Yeah. Uh, the, the lack of randomness and how the stealing occurs, I think is just feels so much better to me. Mm -hmm. uh, than most any game where it's like, you have a 65% of taking this without getting caught. And I'm like, oh, I, the punishment for getting caught is so annoying that that's just way too high. I will never do that. 
Whereas in this game, it's like, yeah, I'm going to just take this wheat. I, it's not going to make that big a deal. Uh, the guards might shake me down and then I'm missing like 20 gold worth of wheat and okay, whatever. Um, yeah. Or cook so, it. Yeah. And- I like, Make some bread and eat it. Yeah. The evidence, you know. And then it's your your wheat. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So yeah, that's that's an aspect of this game that I feel like is one of those. It's one of those things where it's like, until you think about it, it's does it immediately jump out as like, wow, this is an amazing design decision. But when I do think about it as that particular goody two shoes, I'm like holy shit, this game has me behaving in a completely different way from most other games in a way that's making me utilize its systems in a way that I want to. Uh, And that's pretty cool. All right, so I think that should largely cover this. Uh, Nier already mentioned their their recent activities. Yeah. Uh, Do you have anything else you want to, to prop up? You do have another podcast. Yeah, I'm on a show called Materia Possessions periodically with Imran Khan and a bunch of my other former co-workers at, uh, or from fanbyte.com, um, not at there anymore. Um, all of, I think the vast majority of us have left at this point. But uh, yeah, you can go listen to that. We it ostensibly talk about RPGs, but we basically just talk about any kind of video games that we want these days. It's kind of the condensed version of all the other fanbyte podcasts put together now that fanbyte is kind of no longer the thing that it once was um so if you miss that uh miss shows like 99 potions or channel f or anything like that you can listen to me over there um other than that i'm i'm just chilling for about another five weeks and then i then i start my new job luke uh written any fun articles lately they're all fun articles Okay. Everything you ever write on Kotaku.com is a fun article. You can read, you can read them all on Kotaku.com, a website for video gamers. That all gamers love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody's ever weird about it. Nobody's ever been upset about Kotaku.com, ever. Uh... Yeah. Um, I am Rowan Kaiser. You can find me on my other podcast, uh, Total Massacre, which I talk about action movies or other movies I feel like talking about, but primarily action movies. And that is on Twitter at Total underscore Mass underscore Pod. You can also find it on Apple and Spotify and direct download links on my Twitter. Uh, I think that's that's all I have to promote. Uh, my heart is getting better. I, I'm feeling slightly more human most pretty consistently again for those who have been following my health uh so yeah i think that's that's all i have uh three moves ahead is supported by listeners just like you on our patreon patreon.com slash 3ma where you can find you could get links to our discord we had recently had our first like uh live show that uh people could like directly participate and ask questions in um, you know, also working on things to vote on. I should talk to Lynn about getting that off the ground. Uh, we also just joining the Discord, maybe playing some multiplayer games. That one's uh, not necessarily active at the moment, but you know, one day Company of Heroes will get the patch that makes it the game that everyone wants to play. Right then, uh, 
So yeah, that's how you can support Three of May. Three of May is produced by Liana Hafer and possibly the robots in Zencaster. Uh, and we will be back next week with more strategy game discussion. As mentioned, we have several games on the plate, uh, particularly Age of Wonders 4 and Darkest Dungeon 2. So those are, I think, our most likely picks. Yeah, I think that about covers it. So for Nier and for Luke, this is Rowan saying have a good night. <laughs>